We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. On this episode, I speak with Jared Morris. Jared is a podcaster, entrepreneur, and all-around awesome community organizer. I met Jared as a member of the Unemployable Initiative, which is a place to build your perfect business in a community of like-minded people and expert coaches. Jared runs it along with Brian Clark of Copyblogger Flame for those of you who are Gen Xers like me. Jared and I cover a lot of ground about how to be productive while working from home and for yourself. The real cool story is how he got to be working with Brian Clark as well as how his podcast has evolved over time. We talk about the power of community and the best ways to build an audience and the value of an audience that finds what you do helpful and valuable. If you're wondering how to build a great online community, then Jared is your guy. The Unemployable Initiative is a masterclass in how to build a community and give those community members value as well as a sense of belonging. Community building has always been important. It's now even more important in a world with all these digital distractions. We also talk about the four things that are important for a podcast to do well, as well as three reasons someone will actually listen to a podcast. I'm always fascinated about how people come to do what they do, And Jared's journey is fascinating and filled with all sorts of great lessons and insights about how to take your own path all while serving a community. Now, let's get better together. Jared Morris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jared. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for for coming on. I know uh, it's been these uh, trying times and... uh, (laughs) 
you know, what's really great. I just had to make sure that the recording time got on my wife's work calendar. Yes. So that she knew and she didn't have a call going on at the same time so that we could get good audio without uh, the background noise. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people have that problem nowadays. And uh, yes. who would have thought that you'd have to coordinate <laughs> your wife's work schedule? And, and I, I know. You know, it's, it's a little crazy. So um, we actually met through the unemployable. Uh, initiative, which I found through Brian Clark and what you guys Mm -hmm. were doing. And so before we talk about that, um, why don't you give us a little background of kind of how you came to do what you're doing now? It's a good question, because I never really would have thought that I would be where I'm at right now, you know, kind of managing online communities like I do. But, you know, in a sense, it was kind of a natural evolution of my, my career working online, which has really spanned... 11 years now, 12 years now. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I kind of, you know, meandered a little bit after college and tried some different things, you know, was was a teacher for a little while and, you know, was a, a project manager for a print shop, did like kind of, you know, did some direct sales, like door-to-door sales, like had all different kinds of experiences, what, which what? I learned a lot. What kind of direct door-to-door sales? Oh, man, uh, selling coupon books in Miami, Florida, <laughs> um, <laughs> Wow, which was simultaneously the worst job ever and probably the job that I learned the most from. Yeah, true um, enough. So I would never want to do it again, but I also do not regret doing it and the things that I learned from it, even though it was totally ridiculous, um, but a really good experience. But anyway, you know, that kind of led me to, to trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And as a lot of people do, I think, decided, hey, let me go back to school. So I was going to go to law school and then... Um, Ended up, I was living in Indiana at the time and ended up moving down to Dallas where my parents were living um, just to kind of get back on my feet, get a little reset. You know, my dad uh, worked in the NFL and so he knew a lot of agents um, who I figured I could get, you know, just get some work from, you know, do some side work while I'm getting kind of preparing for the LSAT, preparing to go to law school. And so through that, you know, went to meet this agent that I was doing some work for um, at a coffee shop and happened to meet one of his friends who ran a small digital agency down here in Dallas. And he needed someone to just write some press releases for him. And I, you know, I've always been a writer. I was like, sure, I'll do it. I'm just kind of doing some side work. And that ended up, uh, you know, leading me to working with him, becoming his partner. And that was really my first foray into the online world and into learning WordPress and social media marketing and SEO and creating content and building audiences and all of those things. And as part of learning WordPress, I just kind of figured I wanted a little sandbox to go play in so yeah. I could go try stuff uh-huh. without, you know, without trying stuff on a client. Like, let me just go try stuff on my own stuff so I can actually learn this and then we can do it for clients. And so I started a sports blog called Midwest Sports Fans that ended up actually doing pretty well and driving a lot of traffic. And it would drive a lot of viral traffic. Hmm. And so it would get like a link on Deadspin or one of the big sites, Dig, back in the day. Oh, back in the yeah, Dig. <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, you get on the front page of Dig, man, and that would just oh, yeah, that would drive all set. kinds of traffic. Oh, you're, you're the a The problem star. is, if, yeah, if you don't have good hosting, it's going to crash. Yeah, 100%. And so, you know, while I was kind of a content guy and really liked creating content for this site, my business part, partner at the time was really much more of a tech guy, and he loved to solve problems. And so he's like, okay, the site is always crashing. We're actually making a little bit of money now from it, from advertising. Let me go figure out a way that maybe we can create a new hosting stack that is you know, really well designed for big spikes in traffic, but can kind of expand. You, know, you don't have to pay for it all at once and drive up these big bills, but it can expand if you need it. 
And so he created this hosting stack that really worked well. And we ended up, you know, I knew a lot of other sports bloggers. And so they ended up getting onto it. And this led to this kind of new line of business that we never expected to be in as a hosting company. And that eventually led to working with CopyBlogger. And that's how I met Brian Clark, because yeah. at the time they were looking for a hosting solution that they could offer to, you know, their audience members, their customers, because they had themes and they had, you yeah, know, Genesis plugins. and yeah, all that. It, yeah. It, yeah. And, you know, premise to help you with landing yep. pages and that kind yep. of thing. I'm a and, and customer so they needed both. Yeah. Yeah. And so they needed, you know, a hosting platform. And so they acquired us. That became Synthesis. Which and then every, obviously everything was then later rolled into Rainmaker, but that was what you know kind of brought me into the world of content marketing and actually building an audience. Because when I was writing for Midwest Sports Fans, I was creating content and driving traffic, and had gotten you know pretty good at it, but was really getting tired of the hamster wheel of let me wake up, let me create some viral post, let it drive traffic, and then the next day it's like you got to start all over again because you haven't really built an audience. And so when I joined CopyBlogger, I really started learning about how you actually build an audience, the value of building an email list, um, you know, the value of being able to create this asset that you can go to and communicate with anytime you want to, which I never did with, you know, with Midwest sports fans, and then how you actually take that and build a business around it. Um, and so you know, just getting being able to work closely with him and with Sonia Simone and with all the other, you know, Robert Bruce and all the other great people at Copyblogger, that really it taught me so much about that. And so, you know, through that work and then through some of the other side projects that I've had, have really had a lot of experience building audiences and you know, and building businesses around them. And what I've really evolved into over the last couple of years now is is not just having an audience and an email list and products, but how do you pull those people together into a community, give folks a sense of belonging, make them feel like they're a real part of what you're doing, and start to build kind of a more comprehensive community-based business around that. And that's what really kind of gets me excited and what what I'm really passionate about doing now. You know, unfortunately... Um, you know, even though I'm not with Copyblogger anymore, I still have the chance to work closely with Brian Clark, who I've learned so much from, and who was obviously so good at at building audiences. And so, you know, where we met, the Unemployable Initiative uh, is is an offshoot of that. That's one of it. You know, was his side project originally. Now is something that he's really working a lot, a lot more. Uh, you know, in depth with trying to help freelancers and solopreneurs. Um, and so, I feel really fortunate to be able to help lead the community that he's built up around that and. You know, have learned so much from those folks, and it's just it's so it's so fun to be a part of a community of people that are you know kind of taking their life and their business, you know, taking control of it and building yeah, the lifestyles sure. they want. So sure. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and I'm a proud member of it as well. And again, that's where where we met, and I just remember you know the little copy blogger days, or I mean, it's still around, but you know, not as <laughs> active. Is. But I mean, I was a, I was a big fan, you know, content marketing and the writing and everything. I mean, I started my blog, The Daily NBA, you know, over what, I think it's been a decade now because yeah. of guys like Brian Clark. So yeah. it's just a wonderful to see the evolution into a community of, you know, like-minded people that like me are completely and utterly unemployable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's when I was having a conversation with my dad the other day. Yeah. As my parents have always struggled to like, ever since I moved to working online, they've always struggled to kind of understand 
you know, what it is I do to oh, the point yeah. where sometimes I feel like they just don't ask because yeah. they don't yeah. like they, they don't want to be confronted with these concepts that are kind of foreign to them. <laughs> you know, so he's like, hey, how's everything going? I was like, you know, things are really going well with unemployable and we're doing he's like unemployable. <laughs> I was like, yeah, unemployable. he's like, what does that mean? I was like, well, you know, it's like the tagline for folks who can get a job. They're just not inclined to take one. Yeah. He's like, so so these are unemployed people who can't work. He's like, well, not really. <laughs> you know, the conversation just kind of died. Because yeah. It was like yeah. there was kind of this little gap in understanding. Totally. And, uh, oh, yeah, so that that play on words. Some people really get it, <laughs> and then other people are like, "Yeah, what, what are you doing here?" Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I it, it obviously resonated with me, and, and my my dad and parents are the same way. Like, <laughs> they'll be like, "So, what do you do for a living? How do you make money? Are you going to move back home?" I'm, Adam, yeah. <laughs> I'm 49. I think I can handle myself, you know. Yeah. But I mean, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. So they've never quite understood what this all means and why I do what I do. And it's just, yeah. it is a generational thing, I think. So, yes. Um, and, <laughs> and funny. Uh, besides unemployable, you've got a lot going on. At mm-hmm. least three podcasts, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe more. Yes, yeah, so I run the Assembly Call, right. um, which is a uh, a podcast about Indiana basketball, and that was a side project that I started almost ten years ago now. Um, that's really you know kind of developed into a business of its own, not enough to you know to sustain me or, or the the host that we have, but you know enough to you know make some make some side cash and 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 really just kind of scratch the itch to have a passion project where yeah, it's not totally. you know the pressure of like being your job and yet you know you could, I've really been able to learn a lot from it um and have had a lot of great of great experiences from it um so I actually host two shows related to that and then the other project that I'm working on right now is the thinker's notebook and this is actually something yes. else that I'm working on um with someone that I met at copyblogger Sean Jackson who is our CFO at copyblogger um and so we have a you know he had this idea to basically to take a lot of the science that is out there about how to help people think better and create a system, a, a physical system with a notebook combined with an app that really helps people put that into practice. And that's been a really, really interesting project to work on because I had actually never worked with a physical product before, um, like the notebook, but a lot of the ways that we are going about kind of building that audience and trying to build a brand and, you know, build a you know a core group of people that then you know once we're ready to launch a, a paid app um you know we'll kind of have there ready to to help us do that there's a lot of similarities there um and so that's that's been a really really fun project to be a part of yeah i i, I took a brief look at it i it it is pretty cool my uh my fiance minerva is big into notebooks i mean is she big 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 into notebooks. people who like notebooks are really next like notebooks. level <laughs> yes every year she gets her new notebook and the new little inserts and all the organization and it's just like every day she journals in it and it's a yeah. <clears throat> it's a way to have her goals and but she is just so and i don't even remember the name of the notebook company she uses but the catalog of the types of paper and inserts and tabs and tags yeah. it's like next level i mean she i think she one time you know bought a bunch a bunch of it online the box came and it must have weighed 50 pounds i mean no mm-hmm. joke right and so she's got the main notebook and the backup notebook and anyway um yeah and so so the interesting that is interesting that um going to like a physical product from the normal products that you've done 
Um, and then, I mean, all these other things, I mean, how is your, what's your daily schedule like? I mean, how do you put all these things in? Because to be honest, you have more jobs than I do. And I have a lot of jobs. <laughs> it's, you know, it's hard. And I, I still kind of struggle to figure out the right balance with it. And especially, you know, with what we're all going through right now, yeah, you know, sure. what my plan was has been, you know, totally thrown out the window um, because I had kind of had a system, before, you know, because I have a three-year-old daughter. And so, you know, I would take her to preschool and then have a gap of time and then pick her up and then she would nap and I would work then. And so like kind of had like a whole system going. Now, of course, she's home every day, you know, and and my wife is here working and now she's not napping as much anymore. So it's been it's been a little bit of a challenge trying to figure it out, you know, so right now, I mean, you know, I'm really taking it on a on kind of a day by day basis mm -hmm. and really trying to figure out, okay, look, I've got six things to do. It's highly possible that only three of them are going to get done today. So what are what are the real high priority things that have to that have to, to get done? Um, and so really just trying to kind of simplify and focus on the priorities and try to find the you know, the windows of time during the day when I can actually find 30 minutes to really focus, 60 minutes of uninterrupted time to really focus and get that stuff done. Um, because it's just, it's, it's a little bit harder to find right now. Um, but I, I've, you know, I have found that especially kind of, you know, with what's been going on over the last, you know, month with everybody at home, I've found some better ways to like really focus and really use that focus time more wisely that I'm really going to try to carry over, you know, whenever we get out of this and things go back to a little bit more quote unquote normal. Yeah. Um, you know, really try and, and carry that forward. But what, what are some of those tips that you may have? Well, you know, like I said, it starts with, you know, really being organized with everything that needs to be done and then kind of being ruthless in terms of prioritization, you know, on a daily basis with, you know, what has to get done? What is, you know, what is maybe someone, you know, what is Brian waiting on, you know, that he needs to do his part? You know, what is, you know, what's really going to help the community move forward? And then what do I need to do for myself? And just try and figure out those priorities, you know, and then figure out, okay, today, you know, this is what has to be done. And, you know, for instance, like, you know, with my daughter, in the mornings, we're basically, we've got like a little dry erase board, and we're writing out a schedule oh, wow. for her, which is like, you know, okay, Eight to nine o'clock, it's going to be independent playtime. You do your own thing. Then it's, you know, for another, for the next hour, it's your own choice. So if you want to watch a show, you want to do whatever, that's fine. Then after that, you know, we'll go out for a walk. And so kind of having that schedule, it helps for her, but it also helps for me to know like, hey, okay, I've got this window of time. Yeah. And I've got to get this thing done. And then, you know, putting on the headphones to try to just get kind of focus the attention you know, getting away from Twitter and any of the potential distractions that are there. You know, Twitter is not you, a distraction at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's and it, it's like you know the uh, the book a book I recently read, Indistractable by Nira Eyal. Uh -huh. I think you know really the way that he distills it down, I think, is really helpful. Which is that you know, for any of these things like email or social media or whatever it is, they're not distractions in and of themselves. It's how we use them that makes them a distraction. So true. You know, because. So true. Like, I, I don't know, I would probably get off Twitter if I could, but I can't, you know, my project, that's where I interact with my audience. And if I'm actually going to build an audience and communicate and do this right, I need to be on those platforms, but I've got to use them in a way that they serve me as opposed to the other way around. And so I've just had to be a little bit more ruthless, you know, in terms of what I allow myself to do from that standpoint, because 
those things are important to a certain extent, but if I'm, you know, I'm piddling away 15 minutes there and then there's, you know, five to 10 minutes to switch, you know, that, cause we know there's kind of a switching cost there and it takes you a little bit of time to switch your attention. And if that's preventing me from getting the big thing done that will help actually move the ball forward, well, now, you know, the priorities there aren't aligned. So it's been a good shock to the system for, you know, how are you at actually prioritizing your time and your day? Um, and so. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I, I was, I interviewed Grant Faulkner. He's the mm -hmm. executive director of NaNoWriMo, the write a novel in a month guys. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, and so in November's, you know, national write a novel in a month. And, you know, I, I love what they do. You know, I, I give to them, their young writers program is pretty awesome. And I've done NaNoWriMo twice, but when I interviewed him, he's like, you have to find your time confetti, which I always thought was like, <laughs> What does that really mean? But nowadays, I'm like, I know exactly what you mean now. It's like those, especially if you're creative, you know, tr trying to write or do anything creative takes focused time. Yeah. Know? And I really think that the, uh, the, the, the importance of having that discipline of trying to figure out the best way to find your time confetti. And so it sounds yeah. like, sounds like even though, you know, I mean, you've worked from home for a mm -hmm. long time. Um, yeah. The, the new reality of trying to fit that all in is a real, real fascinating take. And, and you know, there's a lot of people that have that same, same problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think the other thing, too, is I think it's important for all of us to do this, which is to, to have a level of self-compassion, too, you know, and to realize that not everything is going to go perfect. Yeah, true And enough. sometimes the momentum that you want to build in a day, it doesn't come right and so you have to be willing to adjust like today like just you know before we got on this call you know i had a, a couple different things that i really need to do I, you know i write a weekly newsletter for the thinkers project called the thinkers roundup and i also on every thursday night we host a live show for the assembly call and so i've got lots of prep work that i need to do for that and then i've also got to write the newsletter that goes out friday and so, you know, my big grand plan was, okay, I'm going to write the Thinkers Roundup, then I'm going to do this interview with Jari, then I've got, we've got a community co-working session of, you know, for the Unemployable Initiative, and I'll use that time to do my assembly call, uh, you know, plan for tonight. So I've got it all ready to go. And so I'm sitting there in front of my computer getting ready to write the Thinkers Roundup, and, you know, I've got some ideas for what I want to write, and I keep starting it, and it's just, it's not happening. And over here to my right, you know, my wife is having a really important call, and so it's kind of distracting because she's talking. I'm trying to put on my headphones, and it's not working. I'm like, and I started to get really frustrated. Like, all right, this was my plan. I, you know, this is how it needs to happen, so I get everything done. And I just had to take a step back and be like, okay, this isn't working right now. So, you know, what, what I'm trying to write for the Thinkers Roundup, I, I, like, this is a good idea, but it's just not coming together let me go over and work on my assembly call run sheet because I know I can get, I can slip into some momentum there because that'll be really easy. Know what I want to write. And sure enough, I got that done. It turned out really well. And by doing that, then for about the last half hour before we got, you know, got live here, I reopened up my thinkers roundup and it's like I had some more momentum and it just started to flow. Yeah. You know, and totally. so trying to have that self-compassion of, Hey, you know, Maybe your plan didn't work out very well. Maybe you're struggling right now. Let's just try and find something else to build a little bit of momentum. And then it's funny how that then can carry over from one thing to the next. And so I've tried to just be a little more cognizant of that, a little bit more aware of that and willing to make a plan. But then within that, I mean, those things have to get done. So it's not really changing the priorities, but it's allowing the day to flow 
kind of just in the way that it's going to flow because each day is a little bit of its own beast. Yeah. Um, and that's been helpful because I sometimes would tend to get a little bit frustrated. Like, okay, I got it. I have to get this done and I'm getting frustrated because I can't do it. <laughs> Let's try to find something that we can, again, build that momentum with. Oh, it, can yeah. just, it can be helpful in getting everything else done after it. I'm totally with you on that. I, I, I get that problem frequently because, you know, you know, right now I do PR and marketing for startups, nonprofits, and professional athletes. And so there's always some bit of copy to write. There's always some program or grant or, you know, messaging yeah. or comms. It's just, it just, I have to context switch constantly. Yeah. And, you know, the writer trick that I have used, which, which I found, I don't remember, maybe it was Grant that told me about this, or maybe it was some one of, maybe some of my story grid folk. I don't remember, but one of the great things is that, um, you know, if you're on a roll, um, especially if you're a writer and you have a big project, one of the things that, that they actually recommended was when you're on a roll, stop, get get the, the minimum you have to get done. And then you have that piece of work that you know you can pick up at pretty much any time. So mm -hmm. when I was writing my memoir, I would do this a lot. I'd be like, okay, I kind of know how this is going to work. I'm going to write enough of it so I know where to start again. And then, oh, you know what? I'm on a roll, as you mentioned. I'm going to now go into the, okay, I got to write the web copy for this landing page. Um, and yeah. for whatever reason, that, for me, anyway, that seems to work. And, 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 and even though you get some time lag and context switching in, you know, five minutes or whatever it is, which is, which is real, you can never like, <laughs> uh, what's it called? Uh, multitask is just a fallacy. Yeah. Uh, it is it is really good to have that flexibility. So that that is a really cool cool thing. I'm glad that uh, that like you've sort of seen that as well because it's important for creatives and and even when you're working from home mm -hmm. to be able to pick things up and drop things off, especially if you're not feeling it. Although of course there's deadlines and deadlines matter. So yeah, uh, it's a it's a balance. You yeah, know? it's a total a total balance and and. And so you mentioned, you know, the assembly call, the unemployable initiative, all these communities that you are sort of a part of. And, and I'll just say right off, I've never been in a better run community than the unemployable initiative. And I do. Thank you. Yeah. And I, and I, and I belong to a lot of them. And, and it's, it's really interesting how your approach um, in the way that you sort of facilitate that. And I, I would like to can I, can I ask you what specifically makes it stand out? Um, well, th there's a couple of things. Uh, one, there's always something going on, and there's always encouragement to interact. Uh, I like the fact that there's a regular cadence of activities and that they're done in a very thoughtful way. Um, and even though I cannot go to all of them, <laughs> this is too much. Mm -hmm. um, I like the fact that, you know, they're recorded and, you know, we sort of know what the, the takeaways are. Um, you know, I, I, I belong to a couple of other communities and, and they do do this as well. Um, but, you know, they don't use like the Mighty Networks app, um, which I do think is a great community tool. I mean, mm -hmm. it's probably the perfectly catered to it. Uh but the thing about a, a community that I think is what you get right, and, and this is what I want to explore a little bit more, because people are trying to build these online communities. In fact, I talked with my friend, uh, Greg Marcus, who's, a, who's an, into Musar, which is a, <laughs> it's a Jewish uh, spiritual practice for improvement. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a long story <laughs> of why he does that. <laughs> um, he's actually even um, studying to be a rabbi. He, oh, wow. His story... 
is I, I interviewed him a, a couple of days ago and his story is just so fascinating. But, but the, the building of community is a really vital, important thing for humans, um, yeah. not only in person community, but online community and also for business. And a lot of people, they don't get that. And, and I know, you know, the unemployable initiative is, is something that's sort of evolving, but the, the thing about the way you and Brian have built that community is from a sense of service. And I think that just absolutely shines through in everything you guys do. Um, and yeah, you have products we can buy and, you know, there's that sort of stuff. But it's all of, I want to serve you. Is that how you kind of come to it? Or, I mean, what what's sort of the methodology? Because a lot of people try to do this and they really do it wrong. <laughs> it's all like too salesy or it's just just, it's annoying, you know? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the, if I had to distill down, you know, the greatest lesson that I've learned from Brian, it is that it's about, you know, help people. And, you know, I think it was controversial when he kind of first came out and was, you know, giving so much stuff away for free and giving a lot of content away for free. Yeah. It's like, you know, that's stuff that you could charge for. And I remember one time, I don't remember when this is, if it was on like one of our editorial calls or on a podcast or whatever, but you know, he said his kind of philosophy is, okay, I'm going to help people and give away content for free to the point where it makes me uncomfortable. And then I'm going to give away some more, <laughs> you know? And so it's, and obviously you can't do that forever because you no. have to build, you, right. know, you have to build a business and, right. and look that, you know, that community is going to be a paid community. Um, and so you have to strike a balance there. But I do, there are really kind of two mindsets that I come at it with, which is number one is to be helpful, to be useful. You know, let's bring in guest speakers who are really going to address issues that people are having. Let's identify people within the community who have core competencies that we can, you know, bring on for these lunch and learns like you did, you know, to, to help, to help educate folks. Let's try to create some conversations that can, you know, people will really find some use out of. So that is a big part of it because I think people, that's a big selling point for a community is, all right, I have a problem. I have an issue. How is this community going to help me solve that with actual information and knowledge that I will get? That is really important. And you have to be able to make that case if you're going to sell a community to anybody just to get them to try it. Yeah. But probably the biggest shift in my thinking over the past, I don't know, maybe year, 18 months, whether it comes to podcasts or communities or whatever it is that I'm creating, is I want to give people a sense of belonging. Yeah. That's that's the other part of it because yeah, that's yeah. what keeps people around. So if you are if you can demonstrate your value and your authority and all that stuff, you'll get people to listen or to join you and you'll get them to come back for a little while because they're getting a lot of value out of it. But what keeps people around for the long term and really deepens the connection is if you can give people a sense of belonging. You know, if you can create a community where people really feel like they're they're with their friends and they're appreciated, you know, and their presence would be missed if they're not there. Yeah. You know, oh, same thing you point. can do. It's good the same point. thing that you can do with a podcast, right, you know, right, by, right. you know, for and there's so many different ways that you can do this. And the context is always going to matter. But I think if you can think about those two things, how can I be helpful? How can I be useful? How can I be valuable? And then how do I give people a sense of belonging? And, and, and you know, that second part, I think, is just going to be more and more important as we move forward. I mean, it's especially highlighted right now. Like, we're all at home. We're isolated. 
you know, people are looking for connection. Yeah. And so that's one part of it. But yeah. there's there's a next level beyond connection of belonging to where it's, you know, it, it's like I found my people. I'm wanted here. My presence is valued here, you know, and I would be missing something and they would be missing something if I'm not here. I belong to this place. Yeah. And I think if you can create that sensation, just that overall you know, feeling within what you're creating, you've really created something special. And so that's that's really helped to direct how I think about building community is, you know, how, how are you valuable and how do you create a sense of belonging as well? And it's it's not easy. And I, there's, I don't think there's a perfect formula for it in any, in, in, you know, generally that applies to everything. But if you go into it with that mindset, I think you'll find opportunities to do it and make those connections. And it, it just it creates something really special and it makes it it's what people stick around for long term. Yeah, no, true. I mean, I, I belong to this thing called Founders Network, which mm. uh, is another well-run community of tech tech founders, basically. And, uh, you know, the the CEO, Kevin, has a similar mindset, but, they, you know, they have a kind of a different take Um Whereas, you know, the unemployable initiatives mostly virtual, I mean, started out virtual, right? Like mm -hmm. um, their, you know, their kind of community had regional uh, like yeah. chapters, right? So, and now they're starting to adjust more and more. In fact, I'm, I'm actually with their, with the, what's called their regional director for San Francisco this year. And, uh, and, and it's interesting how, you know, founders and, entrepreneurs like this is a hard job that's why i always feel connected to you know the unemployable initiative in terms of like freelancers and then these um entrepreneurs that are you know trying to build something that never existed before <laughs> it's like hard yeah. job really hard job and 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 i and i do think you know of the there's a lot of challenge with belonging um is a really hard thing at scale right in, in any kind of it scale is. but because it's, it is. you know, you can't hard to belong to like a big group or if it's, if it's not like your main thing, or if it is your main thing, it, it it's hard. It's a hard thing. And and I really like the fact that, you know, you, you, you do come at it from that service. And, and I remember when, uh, when Brian did uh, teaching cells and, you know, all the mm -hmm. other stuff he was doing again, back in the day, I always thought it was just a really thoughtful thing to be of service and try to help. And it's. Yeah. It's amazing that, uh, you know, those kind of models work. And I do think the belonging piece is that next level. And I'm trying to find belonging is going to be really important for people, right? At least nowadays. Yeah. And I, you know, one of the things that, or, or one of the moments that made me realize that is, you know, I was, I was on Twitter actually and happened to click on this guy's profile who I, you know, I knew was an, had, had been an audience member of ours. I hadn't met him in person yet, but I knew he listened to our show. And in his Twitter profile, it said, you know, assembly call chat mob member because we, we do a lot. <laughs> so we do a live show and the people uh -huh. who were there for the chat, you know, oh, we call cool. them the chat mob. And so oh, they're cool. there. And I just remember seeing that and thinking, holy crap, like, yeah. they, you know, he, feels like he belongs to this thing that we're doing. He, yeah. he doesn't have an official role in it. He's an audience member, but he feels strongly enough about it yeah. that in the small space he has in Twitter to kind of explain his identity, that's a piece of it. Mm -hmm. You know, and so 
that was a stark reminder about the responsibility that we have, you know, to people who who really take it seriously like that to continue to represent ourselves in the show in the right way because we're also representing people like him who are putting that out there publicly you know and just that you know the sense of belonging that he must have felt to do that you know and and it just it really hit me that it man if you can create that with folks you've really really got something special but it's hard and you can't you can't come at it from an inauthentic way like if you're trying to create belonging just because <laughs> we will keep people and we will make more money for this. <laughs> I don't think it's going to work long term. No. But if you come at it from an attitude of service to a particular group of people because you really care, you know, then I think you can do it. And then, you know, a byproduct of it is that I think it can have some great business benefits for you. But, you know, you know, like what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Like I think you've got to just come at it from a genuine mindset of really believing that that's the right thing to do. Um, and is a worthwhile thing to do. Um, and when you can, it can be, it can be really great. So yeah, that was a, that, that was a big moment that kind of shifted my thinking on it. Wow. It's, you know, the little things on Twitter. <laughs> change yeah. The world. Yeah. See, Twitter can be useful. <laughs> <laughs> it can be valuable. Well, yeah, if, of course. I mean, you know, <laughs> you, you used it for what it was meant to be is, uh, you know, not only communications, but, a a, a way to see what's going on with the people that are that are your fans and that want to be part of your community. Yeah, and, and so you you're also doing a podcast called The Showrunner, and it's it's interesting because it's about how to launch a remarkable podcast. At least I think that's what I get out of it. And mm-hmm. uh, and so I'm literally started this podcast on March 16th. And there's two significant reasons for that, or at least two significance of to that date. First is my mom's birthday. Fair and enough. second, it was the uh, official start of Shelter in Place in San Francisco. <laughs> so I, hey. either, I either have great timing <laughs> or really bad timing. Um, <laughs> and so I, I'd like, I'm curious about, because you've done a lot of podcasts, you've been podcasting for a long time. So what, what are some of the advice that you would give those that are thinking about going into it? For me, you know, that's actually trying to do it. Uh, and, you know, wh- what have you found? What have you learned so far about that? So what's, what's funny that you bring up the showrunner because we launched, I launched that with Johnny Naster who hosts Hack the Entrepreneur. Yes. Um, which I'm sure the folks in this audience would oh, really yeah. enjoy that show. Yeah, it's a great launched show. that like maybe three, three and a half years ago and we've done 140 episodes or so. And it's really, it's been dormant now for over a year. Wow. But next week... We're doing an event inside of the Unemployable Initiative talking about, you know, what's the future of podcasting. Yes. And we're going to take the audio and we're going to use that as an episode of the showrunner for the people that are on that feed. Awesome. Like, I I mean, of all the shows I've done, that's probably like the second most fun I've had. If, you know, if the assembly call is first, the showrunner is probably second. We just never quite got the timing right or the business model right to keep it going. And we got these other opportunities. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's one of those things where we just kind of went in separate directions, but I love doing that show and, you know, I love talking about podcasting and what makes a podcast work. And, you know, we kind of distilled it down into four main pillars. And I think, you know, they absolutely still apply today. The first one is authenticity. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the reason why podcasts work is because you can create a really authentic connection between the host and the audience member. You know, there's something about the intimacy of the voice being in somebody's head so closely, so intimately that allows you to build that connection. And so, you know, being authentic is that is that first step. And being authentic isn't, 
I think some people mistake that for being transparent. It's not being transparent. It's about really understanding your experiences, your hopes, your dreams, like the things that are important to you and where they intersect with the hopes and dreams and problems of an audience. And so that's going to lead to some transparency, but it's kind of strategic transparency that, you know, and, and I think people don't quite understand that distinction, but it's really important. So you've got to be authentic. The second one is that you've got to be useful. And typically, you know, I find that people come to a podcast for one of three things. They want to be entertained, they want to be educated, or they want to be inspired. And you've got to know what the main thing is people are coming to you for. Because if they're coming to you for entertainment, but you think they're coming to you for education, now there's a mismatch and you're going to lose people. How do you, how do you find that out? I mean, I think, you know, you've got to, one of the first things that you have to do if you're going to launch a podcast is know who you're launching it for and understand your audience. And I think you also have to figure out, okay, so I'm going to serve this audience. What else is out there that is already serving this audience? And how am I going to be different or better? And so maybe, you know, you're starting a show for entrepreneurs and there's a hundred shows out there that are educating entrepreneurs and inspiring them. You know, maybe you say, okay, I'm going to position myself. I'm going to entertain entrepreneurs. And I'm not saying that's the right way. I'm just saying, you know, you want to know kind of what that thing is that you're go- that people are going to come to you for. Right. Like for the showrunner, we knew people were coming to us for education. Right. They were listening to that show to want to learn more about podcasting. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't and shouldn't entertain and inspire people along the way, but you got to know what your core usefulness is going to be to people. Um, you know, like for the assembly call, we're there to entertain people. Yeah. It's about basketball. People are coming <laughs> to, you know, listen to a show about basketball after a game. Yeah. Now, if we can inspire you or, you know, we kind of educate you about something, hey, that's great, but people want to come to that show to be entertained. You know, so I think you have to understand that. So authenticity, usefulness, and then the big one, the most underrated one for a podcast is sustainability. Mm. You, you got to show up, you got to show up reliably, and you have to show up reliably over time. You know, you can't just put out five good episodes and expect to build an audience. You know, and a lot of podcasts, they have that enthusiasm for eight to 12 episodes and then they fade off because they haven't really built anything. Well, of course you haven't really built anything. You've only been around for eight to 12 episodes. Yeah. And people are really loyal with the podcast they listen to. And if you want to break into that, then you've got to show up and people have to believe that you're going to be there over time. And so, you know, a lot of, you know, like the assembly call, this is our ninth season doing it. Wow. I mean, the reason why we've built an audience is we've just kept showing up. And so we've gotten better at it and the audience has gotten to know us better and other shows have come and gone and we just keep showing up. And there's a trust that is built and there's a respect that is built and a connection that's built over that amount of time. And you you can't, you know, what is Joe Rogan on like episode, I don't know, like 3,000 or like it's some ridiculous <laughs> it's number. Like 1400. 1400, 1400, yeah, it's like 1,400. 1,400. Yeah, it's some insane number, you know? And there's, you, can't, you can't replace that and no. it's so important. And then the fourth element is profitability, which is you've got to understand how your podcast is going to be profitable. And that doesn't just mean money. You know, a podcast can be profitable as a content marketing play because it drives people to your email list and then you have a way of monetizing it, you know, in another way. A podcast can be profitable, quote unquote, in the way that we use the term, you know, because it just, because you enjoy it and it gives you some level of 
fulfillment, like what the assembly call was for six years before we actually made any money from it. So we always wow, talk about expli- explicit, implicit, and intrinsic profitability. Now, look, if you can sell advertising against it or you know sell access to your podcast and you make money, awesome. But most podcasts are going to be profitable either implicitly or intrinsically because it's a content marketing player because it's just something that you're passionate about and talking about it fills your soul, you know. And so, so those four elements: authenticity, usefulness, sustainability, and profitability. When you look at the really, really good podcasts, the ones that last and the ones that are successful, you can pretty much trace those four pillars, you know, through every single one of them. And, you know, stuff is going to change with podcasting. More people are listening now. There's more tools. There's more narrative podcasts. There's different ways to tell stories and to connect with people. All that stuff will change. But those four pillars, I really have a hard time thinking that they will. Just the tactics that you use maybe to achieve them uh, will change as you go forward. Yeah. I mean, hmm. I mean, it's it's similar to any kind of business, I would think, Mm -hmm. because... You know, you're you're trying to well, consistency is important in business and entrepreneurship as well. Uh, but it is interesting how, you know, you the profitability or the how you're gonna make whatever quote unquote money or metric you use for success. And um mm-hmm. if if I'm not mistaken, you guys did like the assembly call for six years before like the quote unquote money came in because you just love Indiana basketball, which is Yeah, we just love doing it. It was just fun, you know, and so and and eventually then, you know, we realized that we had a big audience that would support us and so we opened it up to donations and we've made, you know, really good money from donations, enough to cover the costs and pay ourselves a little bit on the side. Oh wow. Um, but we didn't go into it with that goal. And and that that's why this is especially important with podcasting, because I think some people go into podcasting thinking all right, I'm going to put some ads up there and I'm going to make some money from this. And that is just... <laughs> not going to happen. You know, No, it's probably not going to happen unless you have a really big audience right off the bat. And so that's why, you know, especially for the people that we were coaching at the showrunner, which a lot of times you know, were you know, people who were starting out without a big platform or anything like that. It's like, okay, you know, what's going to keep you going? Because yeah. if your idea here is to get rich doing this podcast, you're almost surely going to fade out after 10 to 12 episodes because that's probably not going to happen. But if you take a long-term view of it because you know that you're going to profit from this podcast because you're using it for networking and th- you're reaching out to you know people that you want to get to know because you can interview them on your podcast, well, that's a great way to get implicit profit from or indirect profit you know, from this, you know, it's, you're not making money directly, but you're getting this indirect, you know, it's helping your business in other ways. Um, and even if it's just cause you love doing it, if you really, really love doing it, then that might be good enough. Yeah. You know, but it, I think it's up to every individual podcaster or every individual person to kind of know what that is and keep that in mind so that your expectations are in check. Because it's going to take, it almost always takes longer to build a podcast audience than people think. And you've got to really appreciate all those early listeners, you know, and people get so caught up in getting to a thousand listeners, they don't pay attention to the 10 that they're fortunate enough to get right in the beginning. And they don't nurture them to make them ambassadors and then it helps grow it. And so, you know, it's it's just a mindset thing. Um, And we just, we really tried to help people get the mindset that they would need to stick with it and succeed. Well, I'm certainly glad you're going to kind of relaunch it. And I'm looking forward to, you know, being in the unemployable initiative and actually seeing it <laughs> live or it'll be, it'll be fun to do. I always, yeah. I always enjoy talking about that stuff with Johnny. He's, I mean, and Johnny's such a great 
person. Just the way his the energy is just, it's, you know, if you should definitely take a look at his podcast because I, I've, I, yes. I listened to it and uh, really enjoy it. Um, I think I was even on it, if I'm not mistaken, for my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, which is what this is based on. And and, yeah. and, and when you said about the why, what, uh, you know, why are you really doing it? it? It really resonated with me because part of what I'm trying to accomplish with this podcast is that I, I have conversations with great people like you all the time. Uh, and part of the learning or my service to the world, I guess, you know, maybe I'm a little bit full of it right now, but what, what I want to give back to the world is the, the idea that the community of entrepreneurs is really a, a wonderful place to try new ideas and to get help. And most entrepreneurs will go to the top of the mountaintop and scream as loud as they can on what they're doing because it's such a hard yeah. job to create something from nothing. And that internal why at least for entrepreneurs, at least the ones I know, I mean, you know, a real company like from, you know, initial seed stage investment all the way to like exit is a seven to 10 year process. And mm -hmm. you don't see a lot of results right away. I mean, the first couple of years are like a slog and you just question whether or not this is like, I really want to do this. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so is really interesting that that you bring up, you know, again the the consistency and the why you're doing it and you know, what what are you getting out of it and what are you getting out of it internally? And I think, at least for me, what I'm getting out of you know doing this one is that, uh, you know, I get to talk with great people like you. I get to learn a little bit. Um, there is a ton of entrepreneur podcasts out there. Clearly, of course, there's there's a lot of them, um, and I'm still trying to figure out like you know how I want to do it and. And, mm -hmm. and my hope is that the, you know, when we talk about these traits, values, beliefs, and skills of the community, um, that we have these sort of deep discussions on what it's, what's meaningful to us and, you know, learn some stuff and like be inspired, I think, to not, yeah. not, not just like on the money side, because there's, I mean, there's lots of those about that, like, hey, how to do, you know, your first million or, you know, how yeah. to growth hack your way to success or you know, how to get to the top. And, and that's all fine. And the money stuff you need to eat. But I never was really motivated by that. And I'm still not really motivated by that. Um, I'm always motivated by the journey. Mm -hmm. And if you are an unemployable and entrepreneur like I am and you are, <laughs> the journey <laughs> is all we have sometimes. <laughs> that's right. Oh, you have to take You have to take pleasure in the journey and in the the lessons that you learn along the way and the people that you learn along the way, you know, and even the failures, if you keep them in the right perspective are going to lead you to the next success. So, I mean, I think the, the journey is everything. I don't, I don't know that you'll ever actually find the happiness you're looking for if you don't find it in the journey, you know, because I think we get like these ideas that we're going to reach the finish line and here we are and we're at this fulfillment success. Here it is, but that's always going to be fleeting. Yes. You know, and you're going to look for the next thing. So you've got to be able to to really enjoy and take lessons and just live in the moment in, in the journey. I um, mean, I think the, the most successful people that I've met and talked to, they typically can do that. Yeah. And, and I think that's the reason why uh, the, the belonging to a community like the Unemployable Initiative and even Founders Network and some of the other ones that I belong to are... I mean, it's a powerful thing because 
if you belong to something that you are passionate about or that it identifies you and you're on the journey and you've got the ups and the downs and the successes and failures and for you know entrepreneurs failure is 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 always an option but never the end result as i always like to say yep that just inspires you to keep going and 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 that belonging piece that you brought up about community and really having a sense of belonging as i think you know what i feel in the unemployment on you know the unemployable initiative and what you and Brian have brought to it is just really powerful. So I Thank appreciate you. all you do. Appreciate your time. I'm going to definitely check out the Thinker's Notebook because <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to write notes a lot, but uh, for whatever reason I've stopped. But I'm I need I you know because Minerva is really into this. I sort of sometimes say, so what is this like? <laughs> yeah, her notebook is beautiful. And it's beautiful. It's colored. It's got all these tabs. It's just, it's something she's really proud of and useful to her. So I got to check it out. All right. Well, cool. Well, let me know. Let me know what you think. I, I look appreciate forward to that. hearing what you say and especially what she says. And yes. She is such a, <laughs> such a notebook maven. Yes. Yes. Thanks a lot for your time and uh, stay safe. Absolutely. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting thedailymba.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest that you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about in this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.